Yeah, man, I love the dead. John Mayer, that guy is a fucking legendary guitar player, dude. Hey, what's up, man? I'm Isaac. This is my show, Mystical America. We are sponsored by the Shadow Government. If you need a nosy journalist to unalive themselves, so to speak, or maybe you just need to overthrow a charismatic socialist leader in the global south, give the people over at Shadow Government a call for your PSYOP and assassination needs. Mystical America is also sponsored by the Reptilian Overlords. Lizards the name and probing's the game. Look, I don't do any ads for brands or groups that I don't believe in. So trust me, I have been probed by the reptilians. And guys, I know it's scary, but there is nothing gay about butt stuff. And the lizard people are pretty androgynous anyways. It feels good. And I can feel confident knowing that I am free from any rectal cancers with the help of my reptilian friends. Yep, and if probing's not your thing, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, they also told me to let you know that they also offer cloning services. I'm doing it for my kids. I don't have any kids, but when I do have some little fellas, let me tell you. First thing, after the uh, botched circumcision, I am going right down to my local reptilian cloning center. It is a scary world out there, so make sure you get a backup of yourself or your kid or your spouse or whoever the hell ASAP. All right, moving along. Yeah, I got a groovy episode for you all. Today, we're talking about the dead. The Grateful Dead, that is. A group that is loved by some and hated by many, or uh, loved by many and hated by some. I don't know. I guess, just to clear the air, I'll say a few words here about what I think about the dead's music. I know you guys have been asking me since this show started. Isaac, what do you think about the dead? Um, my opinion is pretty mixed, I guess. I wasn't there. I don't I don't really understand it. You know, I wasn't there to see Jerry. Um, I wasn't there to hang out on the lot in the culture, to consume all the high-grade drugs. I mean, I consider myself a hippie, but uh, the dead, I just, I don't know that I ever really got it. The recorded stuff just doesn't do it for me. And I love a lot of 60s and 70s music, even... 60s and 70s music of a questionable quality. I mean, there's no denying the musicianship of the uh, the dead, but I don't know, it's just not compelling to me. At the same time, I'm fascinated by the culture, I'm fascinated by the history, um, I'm fascinated by the people who try to claim that the dead is like some sort of CIA psyop, again, as kind of everything is in this country. Um, that actually makes me want to listen to it more when I hear that it's a CIA PSYOP. I think, wow, this is like government propaganda music to turn everybody into fried hippies or something. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Makes me want to listen to it more. I like a couple songs, just some of the 
more mainstream ones, honestly. And um, but other than that, no, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm not sure I get it. But if you're a real head and uh, you want to message me on Instagram or through email or whatever, uh, you can go ahead and do that and try to show me all the songs. Tell me take you know four grams of mushrooms and listen to this song or that song while I'm laying alone in the dark, blindfolded, and it'll change my life. I'll see Jesus, whatever. Okay, you know what? I might just go along with it and maybe I will come out as a true deadhead, but I guess, you know, it's the last Dead & Co. tour. Shout out to John Mayer. Rest in peace to Mr. Garcia himself. Um, but I guess that ship has sailed for me, so instead I'm just gonna talk about the spinners today. And I'll wait until we get into the episode to tell you more about the spinners if you don't know who or what they are slash were. And even if you do, Hopefully, I have some new, interesting details about the story of the spinners to reveal to you. But yeah, if you would like to chat with me, or you would like to be on this show to talk about some of your experiences, encounters, or thoughts about any religious or mystical or occult groups in the good old-fashioned United States of America, land of the free, home of the brave, or so they say, um, you can email me at mysticalamerica at gmail.com. Whoops, sorry. mysticalamericapod at gmail.com. mysticalamericapod P-O-D at gmail.com And as always, if you would like to be blessed with some stinky, tent-dwelling, hippie, crystal-grabbing, wookie, grateful, dead, white boy with dreadlocks-style magic, some good vibrations, some blessings, all praise due to Jaman, Rastafari, um, you know, you can go ahead and uh, give me a review on Apple Music or Spotify. Really like the Apple Music reviews because you can go ahead and you can type a sentence or a paragraph, but you don't need to do that. I'll still love you regardless if you're just a silent, lurking listener because we love and respect everyone here. I don't know who the we is. I guess God and I, Spirit and I, the universe and I, we love you, we respect you, whether you give a review or not. Anyways, this is Mystical America. Enjoy the episode. Christianity the way it is today a little bit grim myself. Okay, I'm, not, I'm not 
not talking about organized religion. I'm talking about if you read the gospel, it's the, you're, what you're talking to me is what Christ preached to everyone. Right, yeah, 2000 absolutely. Years ago. Well, hey, you know, Jesus yeah, was a hippie. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right acid, is, acid, acid is something. If you don't know who or what the Grateful Dead were, and that would be extremely surprising, honestly, but if that's the case, I'll fill you in very quickly here so we can get past that into the good stuff and start talking about the Spinners, also known as the Church of Unlimited Devotion. So maybe you were extremely content living a life totally free of any knowledge of the dead, or Jerry Garcia, or Bob Weir, or whoever the hell. But unfortunately, I'm gonna have to come in and ruin your jam band free utopia. So, the Grateful Dead themselves, if you haven't guessed by now, they were a band. They started up in the mid-60s in Palo, Palo Alto, California. Yes, the same Palo Alto, which is now the decayed, decadent home of tech billionaires and disruptors. So the Dead are what you would call a jam band. In fact, they are the jam band. There's never really been a jam band that has ever reached the realms of cultural notoriety that the Grateful Dead have. And a jam band, well, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's a band that jams or improvises live on stage. So every single concert from a band like the Grateful Dead is totally different from all the other concerts. And that's why if you get into the Dead's music, you will see there's an endless number of tapes from all these different Dead shows and Deadheads love to go back and forth about which version of which song from what obscure tape and whatever concert at this time or that is better. Founding members of the band. Bob Weir, Ron McKernan, Phil Lesh, Bill Krutzman? Krutzman? I don't know, hope I'm saying that right. And the psychedelic deity himself, the late, great Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia, as you'll come to find out throughout this episode, well, he always kind of remained a step above his fellow band members as both an icon of the band, 
and of hippie culture as a whole. The poor bastard was an addict with many, many vices, the primary one being heroin and the others being cigarettes and food. And then there was the alcohol, the cocaine, and of course, a lot of acid early on, but that was really the least of his problems. In general, the guy was a true hedonist in the full sense of that word, but in spite of all that, Garcia had undeniably a saintly atmosphere about him, a serenity, a tranquility to him. He was like a jolly, giant, psychedelic gnome descended from the deepest realms of hippie heaven, and he was a damn good guitar player. I mean, even people who hate the dead's music will acknowledge that Jerry was downright mystical at playing the guitar. All right, that's Jerry. Okay, uh, the dead, they go through a lot of lineup changes, and spoiler alert, actually I think I already gave it away multiple times earlier, Jerry dies due to a heart attack in 1995. Eventually the band's revived, post-Jerry, sort of, is dead and company, it becomes kind of a thing that yuppies get into, the dead become trendy and fashionable after being profoundly uncool, but fuck all that. That's a basic overview of the dead. What I really want to talk about is the heads. The dead heads. The heads, the dead heads are essentially super fans of the Grateful Dead, um, stands, so to speak. And they were really their own culture. They had their own fashions, their own lingo, their own marketplace of freaky capitalism. They had their own brand of drugs, etc., etc. The dead would roll into town, and that poor town would be flooded with high-grade acid for months to come, much to the delight of the local high school and college population. And kids spent all their hard-earned money or not-so-hard-earned inheritances to follow the dead for months and months on end. There are still very few musical groups or subcultures that I can think of that really rival the dead in terms of sheer absurdity and devotional craziness. The closest comparison I can make would be, um, I don't know, like EDM festivals. Not the Las Vegas type, but like the real Wookiee, Forest, Sprite, Burning Man influenced festivals. And really, some people might not like this, but I think the dead were kind of like proto-raves in a way. Not like stylistically, but I say this as nicely as possible. But look, like to really understand raving or to really understand the dead, you kinda have to be under the influence of something. And then all of a sudden, after taking maybe a certain substance, you're like, oh, I get it. I understand what it's about. And all of a sudden you love the music, you love the culture and everything around it. That's not a hard and fast rule. I'm sure there's, there's plenty of sober people who like um, going to EDM festivals. And obviously there's plenty of sober people who didn't need to be under the influence of any psychedelics to enjoy the dead. But um, 
it helps for a lot of people. So seeing the dead, just like traveling to electronic music festivals was an excuse to not, not just to see some music you loved, but to become immersed in a world that seemed very far from our own world of normalcy. A world of tie-dye and beads and magic mushrooms and strange rambling characters. Basically, seeing the dead, it was a whole ass event. And not just any event. Seeing the dead to some people was a genuinely transformative and spiritual experience. I remember one time a while back, I was hitchhiking around Northern California, somewhere near Nevada County. And I met this very strange, fascinating, aging hippie. I forget his name now, but he told me a bunch of stories about how he had almost been in some porno magazine, how he got arrested for having an alligator in his yard. A fake alligator. The police thought it was real. And then he told me that he came to Christianity that he came to the Lord, to Jesus Christ, through combining nitrous oxide, or whippets as they're called by the kids these days, and uh, acid at a Grateful Dead show. Apparently he had a vision of Christ at that moment, and he has lived a life of repentance and holiness ever since. But yeah, needless to say, a lot of kids, a lot of heads were transformed during dead tours and shows. And all that background, well, it brings us to the spinners. The spinners are, as far as I've been able to tell, they're the only genuine religious movement to form around the Grateful Dead and Mr. Garcia. There were a lot of other religious groups that followed the dead around, hoping to bring followers into their folds. People like the Twelve Tribes and the Hare Krishnas, all very important groups that we'll probably talk about later. But the Spinners are the only people to have formed a group centered around the dead and the dead's tours as a actual object of devotion. Now, Spinners, that's kind of like an informal name for this group. It actually describes a style of deadhead dancing. The dancing at a dead show is really something. I mean, it's not always rhythmically aligned, so to speak, but it's always unique and free-flowing. Amongst the many crazed vegan acid head dances going on at dead shows, there was a group of dancers that somehow always managed to stand out from the already colorful crowd. A large group of dancers who would whirl and twirl and ascend to new spiritual heights in ecstatic fervor. They were basically deadhead dervishes. They rarely indulged in any other forms of dancing. They just spun and spun endlessly into the night. I first heard about the spinners on the internet somewhere. I really don't remember where, but I heard there was a group of deadheads who had started their own religion, and that sounded right about up my alley. So found a couple Reddit threads, and those led me down the rabbit hole even further. One of these threads 
written by one Pills Galaxy is titled, What's the Deal with Spinners? Or What's the Deal with the Spinners? And it reads, quote, Sorry, I'm a pretty young head, just learning about this stuff, and I keep on hearing about the spinners just drifting of off, I presume, just drifting off into higher realms, listening to Jerry Garcia, which the, apparently, they, written as the, the, apparently thought to be a prophet according to Long Strange Trip. Were they a community or just a concert phenomenon? How many were they? Are you one? Please tell me more. What's the deal with the spinners? What is the deal with the spinners indeed, Pills Galaxy? Thankfully, through these Reddit threads, I managed to stumble on a book titled Heads. I always, like, at least attempt to give credit to the sources I use, but I especially want to give credit when I think you guys will genuinely enjoy reading something when it's not just like some super dry academic bullshit, but actually something you could enjoy reading in your free time, even if you don't host a podcast about obscure religious movements that like literally five and a half people probably care about. And this book is something that if you enjoy the show, I think you'll probably enjoy it quite a bit. So check it out. If your neurodivergent special interest is musical subcultures, psychedelics, the rise of big tech, strange tales told in the shadows by aging stoners, this is the book for you. I haven't read many books about deadheads specifically, but uh, this is an incredible one. Heads by Jesse Jarnow. Heads by Jesse Jarnow, people. Check it out. And it's extremely comprehensive, too. Super fun. If you can't tell, uh, I fucking loved reading this book. And I just wanted to shout it out because I think you guys should read it. It's really, really, really a wonderful book. Anyways. Heads uh, tells the story of the spinners. And the spinners actually had an official name. It was the Church of Unlimited Devotion. See, but we're not punks. We're hippies. Oh man, poor peace, pot, microdot, deadheads, deadheads. All right, it's the late 80s, and the dead tours are in full effect, despite Jerry's declining health. There's grilled cheese sandwiches, bracelets, tie-dye shirts, all manner of things for sale on the lot. There's young men juggling, playing hacky sack, young moms, breastfeeding future deadheads, all sorts of scenes happening. 
And any given tour night, you might look out into the crowd during a set and see a group of women dressed in long, white, flowing dresses, and men dressed in various colorful cloths, all spinning like Sufi saints on high-grade LSD. These folks, uh, probably numbering at about 30-something roughly, are the spinners, soon to become the Church of Unlimited Devotion. The spinners were led by a man named Joseph. Joseph was a pretty charismatic character initially, by all accounts. It seems he attracted followers by getting people into shows they wouldn't have been able to afford, and finding his caravan of lost souls a place to crash for the night after a show. In other words, Joseph was just pretty damn good at finessing his way into shows, and other people's apartments. And it seemed to work out to everyone's benefit. Nobody was hurt, and these young folks got to see their favorite band. But obviously, this wasn't just a group of highly devoted fans. Joseph and his group had spiritual ambitions as well. Dance and music have long been used as vehicles to access the transcendent. Needless to say, psychoactive compounds have played their part throughout time as well. The extremely well-known Persian poet Rumi and his followers began the Islamic esoteric tradition of ritualized spinning to draw closer to the heart of God. A tradition which we in the West know as whirling dervishes. Since the spinners were a pretty small group, it's hard to know all the exact details about their theology. But we do know that they pulled quite heavily from those Sufi, mystical, Islamic traditions. They also apparently had other religious influences, ranging from ancient Orthodox Christianity to Hinduism. It was a classic hippie syncretism pretty in line with all the New Age and Universalist movements that had been taking off in the United States since the 60s. However, what really made the Spinners' theology unique was not just their religious stew of Eastern and Western mystical practices, but their devotion to the Grateful Dead. And actually, it really wasn't the dead they were devoted to, but it was Jerry Garcia specifically who was their supreme personality, their Krishna and their Christ. In Heads, Jesse Jarnow says of the Spinner's devotion to Garcia, quote, It's Jerry, the Spinner's know, and what's more, the Spinner's know completely and perfectly that it is not Bobby. Bobby, meaning Bob Weir, kind of second in command in the band to Garcia, just for those who are out of the uh, Grateful Dead loop. In the Spinner's mythology, there is the sacred and there is the profane, and Jerry Garcia is sacred and Bobby Weir is profane. Bobby is seen as worldly and self-absorbed, observes the anthropologist both because of the songs he writes, with some notable exceptions, and his stage presence, while Jerry is frequently described as humble. 
And when it's finally possible to get close enough to Joseph the Spinner to realize that his basic rap is Jerry Good, Bobby Silly, one might pause to admire the dude's wisdom. Well, hopefully that paints a picture of this group's belief and practices for ya. Now, let me try and tell you the rest of their story real quick here. Joseph's group has been described by a lot of people as Trustafarian in nature. Trustafarians are a group that I'm quite familiar with. Basically, pot smokers, hippies, and hashish heads who rely on their parents' money to fund their free love adventures. Instagram sprinter van people, for example, often fall into this category. But hey, uh, I'm not one to judge because I like free money too. Word of advice, if you're looking to start a new religious movement, people with inherited wealth are great to have on your side. They have all the time in the world to devote to you, and they also have a lot of money to devote to you. And those are the main resources we're all after in this material world. Time and money. Even the preacher man. Time and money. Thankfully, Joseph found both these resources to be in abundance. He really got lucky when he met a fellow friendly Trustafarian by the name of Luther Delaney. Luther lends the spinners $108,000 because, you know, 108 is a sacred number in Hinduism and Buddhism and all the other great Eastern religions. And the spinners use this money to purchase just a little bit of property north of San Francisco in classic freaky commune territory. According to Luther, the guy who lent the spinners all that money, the land had previously belonged to a long-haired holistic healer, a Hare Krishna temple, and a quote-unquote lesbian cult. Cool. It is at this time, after purchasing the land with his followers, that Joseph formally renames the Spinners as the Church of Unlimited Devotion. That name is a reference to an early dead song titled The Golden Road to Unlimited Devotion. At this point, all of Joseph's followers are required to take vows of chastity as well. More on that later, though. Joseph firmly proclaims that the group is not a cult, but that is, of course, what all cults tend to say. But I digress. The Church of Unlimited Devotion sets up a spinning hall on the property with the top-of-the-line sound system, and then a main communal building called the Redwood House, and a bunch of raggedy, not-quite-finished dome houses dot the property as well. By the way, we need more dome houses in the world. I love dome houses. More dome houses, please. Luther Delaney, the guy who gave Joseph and his gang of spinners all that money, is supportive of the group's cause. He rolls with the spinners at shows, but he doesn't devote himself fully to the Deadhead Church. He's supportive, but skeptical. He maintains a healthy distance and just kind of sits back and enjoys the trip. Joseph, for the time being, maintains a pretty healthy relationship to Luther as well. He knows not to bite the hand that feeds him. And so he just says, hey man, you got us this groovy land, so you know, you're like a spiritual brother to me, whether you go all the way in or not. 
But there's kind of a problem here because Luther secretly loves one of these spinning hippie girlies over at Joseph's compound. We've all been there, you know? Fallen in love with a beautiful yet easily deceived granola girl. Like that one girl I met while I was hiking who believed that essential oils could replace vaccines and cannabis could cure cancer. Fun times. But um, yeah, unfortunately for Luther, or Mr. Finance Bro, his love for this woman sort of conflicted with the whole celibacy thing that the church had going on. Finally, after a long, long period of agonizing, lovesick waiting, he goes up to this woman that he's been in love with at a dead show and basically says, Hey, baby, I think we're twin flames. Let's get it on. Etc, etc. And the woman he's in love with just replies sadly with, But I'm a nun. But I'm a nun. Damn. Luther's rejection is the first stick to be stuck in the great spinning wheel of the Church of Unlimited Devotion story. Trust fund kids aren't known to be great with money. So the church also starts to get behind on paying their loan off. Then some of the promoters start to catch on to Joseph's ticket-related hustling schemes. And so the spinners start to get refused entry at quite a few shows. As you can imagine, for this group, that's like being refused entry to your local church on Sunday morning. And then the real big kicker came when some people started to point out that the whole celibacy thing was kind of a farce. Because Joseph, the great wise and charismatic leader, was allegedly doing the deed with some of his followers. Surprising. And then there are some allegations of psychological manipulation happening here and there, but Head seems to say that it was a lot of personal issues and nothing too systemic, but I don't know, I'm not gonna comment on that. But whatever happened, it was enough to cause the religious group and their land to begin to fall apart in the mid-90s. The final confrontation came when Joseph and the Spinners completely banned Luther from the land they had purchased with his loan. In retaliation, Luther finds the Spinners camped out at a show, and he goes up to Joseph and his trippy nuns and starts playing the bagpipes at extremely high volume. The nuns attempt to retaliate by trying to push Joseph off the field and the nuns apparently wind up getting hauled off by the police at the end of the confrontation. And after that whole debacle, Luther just decides to sit back for a while and let the group's financial situation rapidly crumble. And needless to say, that is exactly what happened. Luther takes the land back the whole story dissolves like a high-quality tab into deadhead history. You might be wondering, are the spinners still around? Well, of course they are, just not in their religious form anymore. But even through the days of Dead and Company, there were apparently still old members of the church that would show up and spin. 
Uh, I find that kind of surprising, considering Garcia's absence from the band. But hey, I guess you take what you can get. And in addition to all those original members, plenty of younger heads and people who weren't part of the original Unlimited Devotion family would join in on all the spinning fun too. I guess there must be something to it, from Ring Around the Rosie to Dervishes to Deadheads. You gotta spin to win. There's a Facebook page for the Church of Unlimited Devotion that is still up probably ran by old members of the group. It features many pictures of the Hindu deity Lord Shiva, and the latest three posts dating back to 2011 read, Peace, Namaste, and You Are Welcome Here Always. And with that, I would just like to say that you are welcome here always, my lovely listeners. I'm Isaac, and this has been Mystical America, and uh, what's left? Oh yeah, that thing. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. May all beings be peaceful, happy, and freed from suffering. Amen, amen, amen. Good night. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, Something that we could all do to, to change the world, or...? Yeah, I think the main thing is just to, like, everything you see or do, try to treat it how you'd want to be treated, you know? It's, it's real easy, but it's just hard to keep that in mind all the time, you know? But I think that's it. It's just unity beyond any division, you know? Like, oh, this person thinks that way, so they're not a part of me or it, you know? We have to, like, break down all those walls because, you know? We're just like living in shells ourselves, you know? These are what we're in now, but we're here to learn lessons and go on further. Love. That's my final parting thing is love. (laughs) Thank you very much, Mr. Locust Heart.